Welcome to Equal Inspired, the inclusive podcast, brought to you by Equal IT. Jenny Fernandez joins us, who is the program manager at Reboot Representation. Originally from Barranquilla, Colombia, Jenny joined Reboot Representation after serving as the director at the K-12 Alliance and Technologicas. And this is where she focused on broadening the participation of women and people with disabilities in all of the STEM disciplines. Jenny is deeply committed to correcting overrepresentation in tech and uplifting historically marginalized communities by advancing initiatives that highlight the contributions of women of color. Now living in Boulder, Colorado, Jenny has taught several science subjects, including physics and biology, all while serving as the special education department head for a public school in Miami, Florida. She has obtained a bachelor's degree in special education with a focus on learning disabilities from Florida International University and has a master's degree in organizational leadership from the University of Colorado, Boulder. Pleasure to be here with you today. You're very much a STEM enthusiast. You're really passionate about uplifting communities in this space. So we would love to know who or what inspired you to pursue this? Well, this um, passion found me. I was an educator. I've always been passionate about advocating for others, helping others, lending my voice to others. And while I was working at the University of Colorado, the opportunity to lead a program that was focused on Latinas and creating awareness for Latinas and technology came up and um, I jumped on that opportunity because being a Latina myself, I really wanted to contribute to the Hispanic community in any way I could. So I became the program manager and then director of the K-12 Alliance and Tecnologicas, which was a project that um, I hold near and dear to my heart. To this day, I still continue to support it in any way I can. Fantastic initiatives and really important missions. What were some of your biggest lessons learned from your time at the K-12 Alliance and Tecnologicas? Well, a few of the things that are always that always come up when I think back about what things were successful or what things kind of like were common thread amongst the people that I talked to is that first, um, through Tecnologicas, which were a, a group of role models of Latinas in tech that wanted to inspire and create awareness in the Hispanic community about opportunities in STEM. What was really interesting to see is that they all really want to give back to the community. They're really committed to um, be embedding themselves in the community, creating awareness and sharing education and experiences about careers in technology. So that's one thing that they all really wanted to give back to the community. And the second thing that we kept hearing over and over was the fact that they wish they had someone like a Tecnologica in front of them when they were younger to help them navigate their journey, to give advice, to um, inspire others, to persist and to hang in there. So, you know, it was really great to see the impact that these women had um, with the with the girls and students that they talked to. It was fantastic to, to witness that firsthand. Certainly, having those role models, you can't be it if you can't see it, right? And this is why it's so key. When I was growing up, I didn't necessarily have 
role models who were in tech specifically. And I think that that had quite a profound impact in why I didn't necessarily take that career route. Did you have any growing up? Interestingly enough, my role models, my immediate family, they all pursued careers that were more traditional in nature, whether it was engineering or medicine or law, business. So I didn't have anybody really pushing technology or or STEM on me. Um, I wish I did because, you know, knowing now what I didn't know then, I think I would be thriving in the tech sector and really um, contributing meaningfully or lending my voice to, you know, the products and services and things that we all use on a day to day. So um, I did not have those tech role models, but I work tirelessly today on the things that I that I focus on to really create that awareness in the Hispanic community. What would you say was a really proud moment for you, particularly at Technologicas and being so involved with the Hispanic community? I always say that one of the proudest moments is when my mom understood what I was doing and made her proud. You know, it gives me chills. It almost makes me want to cry because I think about, um, you know, what are what are the things that I could do to contribute to the community and seeing my mom understand what I was doing and how my contributions have had an impact has really been one of my proudest moments. The Tecnologicas campaign used to air uh, public service announcements on television and she would send me little recordings of from her phone of her recording the TV, like, look, I saw the commercial of Tecnologicas and um, she would get really excited about it. In addition to that, I would say the the relationships and friendships that I made along the way with those role models, with those amazing women whom to this day I still keep in touch with. I think it's another really um, source of, of pride for me. That's so incredible. And thinking a lot about the impact that you're continually making and, and the great connections that you're having and the relationships you're building. With that in mind, what would you say are your tips for building an inclusive community? If you think about the journey with Technologicas. I think that first of all, you have to be very genuine and intentional on how and who you're reaching out to. Why are you doing it? Expressing why this is important and how some, you know, how this involvement is big, bigger than yourself, how it could have a ripple effect, how, again, it could change the trajectories for families and generations to come. So being intentional and who do you reach out to, starting small um, in a very grassroots manner so people feel that they're really bought into the mission. And I would say also never selling out, like don't ever sell out the mission just for the sake of, you know, some exposure or visibility, but really remain intentional about your, um, about your end goal, which is ultimately to have a positive impact in the community. That's so important. I always look back to Simon Sinek, start with why. I'm a big fan of that and I've spoken about it a lot previously, but it's always realigning with your why, your personal mission statement. Every decision that you make, try and keep it aligned with that and the rest will flow, the rest will follow. So just having that genuine passion and it sounds certainly like your time at Technologicas included that. For anyone that's holding themselves back let's say they want to maybe start their own community but they're overthinking and their imposter let's say their inner imposter is kind of making them feel well who am I to start something like this I'm out of my depth doing something like this what would your advice be to someone here it starts with one small step you know like never doubt that your contributions are valuable that 
your um, that what you have in mind and how you think you can contribute is it's really valuable. Um, so starting small um, and bring others you know other like-minded individuals along with you talk about your ideas as much as you can and somebody out there will be listening and most likely you'll land your message with somebody that, that's willing to help and you know jump on board with you and, and take on initiatives that are going to be beneficial to any community so you've established a community and now i'd love to know how can you uplift engage interact with the members continually and keep that going I think celebrating the people that are part of that community, highlighting their contributions, elevating their voices, um, sharing what they do, um, but really celebrating them, giving them opportunities and resources that are going to be valuable to them as well. So you're not just taking from them, but you're also bringing them um, opportunities and resources to those role models themselves. I think it's, it's a really great way to keep them engaged, provide them with opportunities to interact with each other not just on like a volunteer setting but you know bring them together for social gatherings even if it's on you know a virtual gathering but letting them hear from one another and allowing them to really celebrate and uplift each other I think it's also a great way to keep them motivated and engaged how important is it reaching out to the community as well and and getting feedback and asking them what they want specifically yeah it's it's never a good idea to assume anything you want you can't assume to know what is it that they want or that they need so to your point exactly ellie asking them what is it that they need what is it that you can do and provide as a support or a resource to them and also maintaining communication constantly and not only around the specific topic or just technology, but really supporting them in a more holistic way, you know, like let's talk about situations that are happening at home. How can we support you if you're struggling with balancing work and life, etc. So really creating a community that that's there to provide a really holistic support system for each other. That's so important, so important, especially with the impact now that being more virtual does have. It has its benefits, which is great. It also has some cons and that can be feeling quite lonely feeling quite reserved causing a lot of social anxieties for people so building trust that is a really key thing in any community so like you say you can have that safe space where you feel you can be vulnerable you feel you can open up and go to somebody for help what are some of your tips here in terms of establishing that trust i think that you need to go in in a very vulnerable and open way. You have to also show up completely to give people the opportunity to see that they can show up completely too. Building trust, I think, takes time. Being a good listener also helps build that trust. Um, And then asking questions, sometimes offering too much information is not necessarily what we need to do, but rather listen and ask questions to see how we can then take a pause and figure out how to support being so involved in the hispanic community and wanting to make that positive impact being a part of technology as well what would you say were some of the biggest challenges faced by the community and some of the hurdles and continuous obstacles i think that the main um, obstacle is the lack of information or education around what these careers are, what it entails. You know, uh, these stereotypical 
things that we see in the media of like a nerdy white guy stuck behind a computer. It's, it's what we've um, keep hearing or seeing. And unfortunately, I think that the lack of awareness or access to information about what these careers are, where can they take you, how these careers can change trajectories and, um, you know, and, and break cycles of poverty, for example. Um, I think it's something that I wish the Hispanic community had more access to. So access to information, awareness, and really knowing what STEM or computing fields are about. And as an ally, how can you better support an individual than, let's say, from the Hispanic community? Well, it's interesting because what I found works is that we have to go where that talent is. We have to bring the opportunities to where they are. So if you're living in a community that has very little access to the technology, like the physical technology, for example, like um, or broadband, bring bring the opportunities to the communities that need it the most because there is talent there. We just have to find them and meet them where they are. Thinking a little bit about, let's say, establishing technology, what were some of the biggest obstacles here and how did you overcome them? I would say that not growing fast enough to meet the demand that that we had. I mean, we had so much interest from schools all over the country that wanted to have these role models come into their classrooms. And we did as much as we could to, to, to reach as many students as possible, I think. So um, scaling to meet the demand for that need to learn and engage with role models was one of the hurdles, I would say. But even though that may have been a bit of a of a barrier at first, um, it made the engagement so much more meaningful and so much more, um, I would say like deeper connections because they were very intimate in nature, like small groups, small group settings um, in a space that felt safe for the students or, or the communities that we were reaching out to. So if I could just clone all of those role models and just deploy them all over the country, I think that would be ideal. But um, scaling, I think it's, it's one of the challenges. Yes, I hear that very often, especially like we say, when you're working towards a mission where so many people care about that and they want to make a change and an impact, it's quite difficult because you kind of want to be in 10,000 places at once and you have to wear about 10,000 different hats as well, right? Yep. And, and you can't do everything and all of it right. So you have to really, again, back to being intentional about what the end goal is and and never losing sight of that goal so you know that the experiences that you're bringing to the students are really meaningful and and valuable and will have like a ripple effect um, for them and with the workshops the sessions that you would be doing was there like a formula that you would follow to ensure that you're continually being inclusive that it's an equitable environment did you have like a structure here so we were first of all focusing on latinas of a specific age range so we would intentionally reach out to to schools that had a, a majority or predominantly hispanic population but never leaving out those who were not Hispanic, because the the message is is relevant to all girls and all students, really, um, boys, girls alike. So I would say that making sure that the message was consistent, making sure that the role models themselves were taking into consideration other things like, you know, are there students that need accessibility that that need some kind of accommodation to be able to tap into you know computing activities, etc., and then ensuring that 
it was enjoyable. You know, you can read the room. You, you if you're making it too difficult or or boring, then you know, we would rather present the students with no experience rather than a negative one. So making sure that it was engaging and that you're taking the students' needs into consideration is something that we always kept, you know, focused on. How can we make coding more fun for the younger generation, do you think? Well, I think something that, that's really easy to uh, to do, I think, to make it engage, engaging and fun is to merge and marry computer science with an area that they're interested in. If they're interested in music, bring tech and music together. If they're interested in fashion, fashion and music together. If they're interested in healthcare or medicine, uh, you can always have that CS plus X factor that you can um, incorporate into your lessons, into your activities. So making sure that, that the students gain knowledge in computing by doing something that they already love and like. And also, you know, making it culturally relevant, you know, talking about or, or incorporating aspects of the students' culture into lessons. I think it's something that also gets them really engaged and excited to participate in. Yeah, that sounds good. It's it's about tailoring, right, to every individual because what's exciting, what's fun to one person may be very different to somebody else. But that's what I love about tech. It, it really is like the possibilities are endless, right? You can relate this to so many different fields. So it's very exciting to think about the younger generation getting involved and hearing more about it because, again, just thinking back to when I was younger, Coding to me, it was that stereotype, like you mentioned, very much a boring career or not for me, not for a girl and not something that can be fun. And you're just sat in front of a computer every day. But that's really, really not the case. Technology is so collaborative in nature, like these jobs in in, in tech that are out there. There isn't a single person working on a single project. It's very collaborative. It's, it's very agile so the notion that computing is just boring we need to eradicate that notion and that stereotype if we look also around kind of young girls what do you feel are still to this day the causes and reasons for stem disengagement well we know and research has shown that girls lose their interest in stem pretty early on around the middle school ages and i think part of that is again we we are constantly being messaged or we are hearing from a very early age that you know building and engineering are things that boys do girls should follow a different path and unfortunately our families and and our community kind of perpetuates those stereotypes so what i would say would be really beneficial to combating that is to expose girls to computing very early on encourage them to to tinker and to play and to break and make together um so involving up you know their friends their their aunties their sisters their moms grandmas so doing it together it's a really great way to get girls interested in tech in general what do you feel really are the key components to help young women to thrive in stem i think that creating an identity in them of or helping them 
create an identity as somebody who could be a technologist in the future so they can see themselves as those creators of tech, not just the consumers and the users, but really seeing themselves as somebody who can create technology, who can create great things. Also, I would say, again, back to that role model um, aspect, having role models that are near in age, so near peers that are doing things with technology. So if your daughter is in middle school, having a high school student talk to, you know, talk to them or, or show them technology or show them computing, I think is, it's a really also great way to keep them engaged. Yeah, that's so important. And again, something if I like reflect back on growing up that I never had, which would have been really cool. And I believe you've been doing this a little bit when you was at Technology, because it's also having like women who are having a profession in coding come in to do a presentation to these students, these younger children about all of the great things that they're doing and they're making and how their work is making such a positive impact and just being a real source of inspiration. Certainly. And that's just a perfect example of what I was saying earlier, like you meet them where they are. You know, um, fortunately and unfortunately, we're living in this very connected world. We're all on our computers. We're going to class on Zoom for the past two years. And um, so I think that this pandemic provided the opportunity to reach even more students in a virtual way. So a quick visit from a Tecnologica to a classroom full of students um, to provide inspiration and encouragement is something that as simple as it sounds could really change minds of young girls. I love that. I think that's really, really important. Thank you, Jenny, so much. And yeah, just thank you for the great work that you've been doing, not just right now, but over the years. It's so incredible. You can really get this sense of passion. What keeps you energized to keep going with these things? I am motivated by being a voice to others by lending my voice to others and really my passion lies in, in working in service of others so when I know that anything that I do whether it's a boring task or a super exciting task that at the end it's going to benefit somebody it's going to help them in some way shape or, or form that's what keeps me motivated um, although you know like everybody sometimes we have our own doubts and wonder am I doing am I doing things right am I doing enough and then just going back and remembering that a little bit of an impact is good enough where do you think that stems from that desire that real passion because that's not easy to come by um I don't know I saw it in 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 the people that were around me like the I I tend to tell people that I grew up in this matriarchy surrounded by women who were always doing and that we're doing things very selflessly um we're sacrificing you know in a very selfless way so um i think that you know between my mom and my grandma and my aunties uh, i saw it in them and i think it shaped the person that i am today so I'm, i'm glad that i'm internally motivated to to do things in service of others so refreshing it really is And you are now also the program manager at Reboot Representation. So would love to learn a little bit more about your role, your responsibilities. So as you said, I'm the program manager at Reboot Representation, which is a tech coalition that has been chartered with a mission of doubling the number of Black, Latina, Native American women obtaining bachelor's degrees in computing by 2025. So with that said, a lot of the work that I do within Reboot involves like day-to-day operations, research 
researching organizations to fund and to support that are going to help us reach our mission of doubling that number of what we call BLNA women in computing and really just interacting with our stakeholders, both um, our beneficiaries or grantees and then our tech companies as well, just, you know, kind of day-to-day operations. What do you enjoy the most about your role here so far? So far, because it's kind of new, I think we're at the point where we know who these women, who these students are. And so any opportunity that I get to interact with them, whether it's through webinars or whether it's through our mentoring program, um, learning from them, hearing that they're grateful for the opportunities that we've been able to present to them, I think that's the most enjoyable part of it. Amazing. I'm so pleased that you're enjoying it. And again, an incredible mission that you're working towards. How did you find out about Rebit representation out of interest and, and the role? How did that process come about? So my previous role at NCWIT, um, Rebit representation grew out of a report that exposed the fact that there was very little investment in Black, Latina, Native American women. So the coalition came together. So a, co- a coalition of tech companies came together and they were first housed or lived under um NC Wit, where I used to work. And then years passed by and the opportunity simply just popped up. Um, the woman that was in my role prior had an opportunity to also move along and progress in her professional career. And I think it was a great opportunity to very seamlessly continue to work on a very similar mission that I was already working on. So to me, it was a no-brainer. And the fact that we get to do it now more specifically and more intentionally for Black, Latina, Native American women, I think it's just a great fit for me because I'm so passionate about giving back to my community. It really sounds like a natural transition from everything else that you've been doing. From your journey so far and thinking about everything else that you've experienced throughout the years with the community, How, again, could allies better support Black, Latina, Native American women? If you're part of a majority group, first of all, understanding what the needs of those communities are, understanding what those struggles or barriers are for them, and truly being an ally um, and an advocate for them. If you're part of a majority group, I think it's, it's really important. And again, to do it intentionally, like you really have to be intentional about how you go about supporting specific targeted communities because again it's it's never a one size fits all solution do you think there are any like real characteristics standout characteristics that make a good ally do you have to be a good listener you have to ask all the questions first again you have to really um be open to and vulnerable and and fully present when you are fact finding when you're learning Um, because sometimes it could be really harsh and difficult to hear from communities what their struggles are. Your studies as well they focused on special education and specifically within learning disabilities so I'd really love to know from your time from your studies and the work you've been doing what are some of the common challenges associated with learning disabilities? Well, I think that the misconception that if you have a learning disability, you can't learn. I mean, the name itself is very misleading. Um, you don't have a disability to learn or an inability to learn. You just learn differently. So um, that's one thing. So the assumptions that people make about individuals who are neurodivergent or that learn differently is, um, you know, sometimes harmful you know it it, we tend to put labels on people very early on and we tend to put students with certain labels in a separate group when in reality what they need is 
somebody that's going to help them learn differently. Yeah, again, it's that like demystifying, that stereotype sometimes that can be put on somebody. And we definitely still have a very, very long way to go when it comes to that. What would you say are like some of the real key takeaways from your findings and learning a lot more about this space? I would say that, and and this this applies to pretty much everything. You have to ask the questions. Can't assume what it is that a student needs. Ask them how you can be helpful to them. And then really removing as many barriers or or obstacles as you can to help those individuals achieve, you know, a learning goal or, you know, achieve a milestone. So what we do in a special education setting is to really try to remove those obstacles and to help the students reach an end goal in a way that feels natural to them. What have some of those obstacles typically been? There are multiple um, learning disabilities or learning disabilities express themselves in multiple ways, but a lot of uh, organization, you know, lack of organization skills or poor organizational skills, it's, it's one of the things that, that's kind of prevalent um, in a lot of the students that I came across in my time of, of, as a special education teacher. So helping them with organization, with task completion, with communication, sometimes it's something that I've seen manifest over and over, but really what we're what we're doing as educators when we work with students who are neurodivergent is to provide them with the tools that are going to help them compensate for whatever, you know, whatever extra step their brain is taking to get to the end goal. We just want to equip them with um, whether it's coping strategies or ways to really compensate and really problem solve to get to the end goal or to meet an objective. So when you say as well, kind of moving those obstacles and you've mentioned what some of those are, what things have worked quite well then? What kind of solutions had you seen help those individuals really flourish and be successful? Well, we provide accommodations. So if you have a student who, for example, has a auditory processing deficit, you want to provide as many visual cues as you can. Like, So you help um, circumvent or kind of you know create a a bit of a shortcut so to speak so if you're somebody that struggles reading then you provide them you know with an ebook or something that they can listen to or have you know if, if it's somebody that has test anxiety you give them additional time to complete a test so giving as many accommodations that are going to help them reach their educational goals is it's one of the ways in which we help students really succeed that's really interesting and Again, it ties into that not one size fits all, right? Accommodating each individual because everyone is different and everybody deals with, let's say, their learning disability in a, in a very different way, right? No Certainly. one is exactly the same. If you think about your experiences in the classroom and you think about organizations, how can they better support, do you feel, their workforce when it comes to this? At least in the United States, if you have a disability, you're protected by the law. So um, companies and organizations also should provide accommodations to their employees um, from the get-go, from like the, the moment they're applic- uh, either applying to a job. Like, will you require accommodations to even complete this application? Today, we do something online to apply for a job and maybe if it's somebody that has low vision um, maybe the the form itself is not adaptable or accessible so thinking about these things from the get-go it cannot be an afterthought in the same way that when we think about supporting communities and and employees at a company 
these these things have to be embedded from from the get-go they cannot it's it's really hard to to patch together solutions after you've created an entire system and then all of a sudden you're like oh we forgot about our population an entire population within our company that requires accommodation so being very again intentional from the beginning and in, in including them thank you so much it's just really interesting to see the journey that you've been on and the different areas that you've been involved with and obviously throwing yourself into diversity equity and inclusion and, and being a part of this mission just in general what do you feel have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned just through everything that you've been involved with thus far I would say the biggest lesson is that we all need some form of help and it's not easy to ask for it. That's why I always go back to ask questions first and then offer solutions. Um, Learn as much as you can about how you can help in a really proactive and genuine way. And then I would also say that a big, big lesson is that the desire for people to give back is out there. People really want to contribute. People really want to help. Um, So offering opportunities for people to tap into, for employees to connect with, to reach out to the community. So building programs and initiatives that are going to provide a platform for others to to lend their voices. I think it's it's one, one great takeaway for me. Amazing. And is there anything up and coming that you're excited about? Any events? Well, I'm excited about what we call conference season. You know, in the fall, kind of like back to school, um, there's a lot of conferences that revolve around tech or diversity and inclusion. So I'm excited to to go back to those in person and seeing friends and colleagues and learning from them. So um, I would say like starting in September-ish, that, that kind of like all those conferences kick up. So I'm excited to to learn from, from peers and just gain as much knowledge as, as possible so I can continue to help. It's all about conversations, right? You learn so much from actually just speaking. And I always say like, you really don't have to be an expert in a space. As long as you really have that burning desire to want to try and make a change and you you have these conversations, then you're always going to be learning, you're always going to be growing. And similar to what you said earlier, you're always going to be helping one person out there, right? And that's the mindset you should take. Absolutely. Like you said, you know, every little bit helps. Um, And I'm thankful for the opportunity to really help others in any way that I can I always tell people just consider me a resource you know even if I'm not the expert at what you think you need help with or what you're looking to get help with I could always reach out to somebody else that I know could help that person so um yeah being being a resource to others and having that opportunity to to help is it's really motivating and it's really um it's a blessing really for sure and something that I want to just touch on which it just come to my mind because of everything that you've been doing obviously you're doing a lot of networking I can imagine through the communities and building these up this is a big one that I speak to a lot of people about and it's a bit tricky because they're, they're not really sure where to begin when it comes to networking or they feel that they're not capable of doing it they're not the right type of person to network what have been some real good successes for you when it comes to approaching networking? Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I don't like to, to go out and, you know, seek 
I don't seek out conversations. Um, so it, sometimes it could be challenging, but I think that what's helped me when it comes to networking is to gravitate to somebody that has a similar interest. So for example, if I'm at a conference and I attend a session, I know that the people that are in that room shared a similar interest, like something made them go to that specific session. So, you know, you can start off by just, you know, a quick conversation about, well, what did you think about the speakers or, you know, how does, how do what you learn here apply to your job or to your role, etc. So starting small conversations in a way that feels safe and it doesn't feel uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, gravitating towards people that you think have a similar interest as you and start small. Yeah, start small. What you've achieved with technology, because with everything and, and still being an introvert is really, really inspiring because these are the challenges that a lot of people I speak with they're mentioning it's because they're introvert that they feel they're not right to network or they can't do it or they won't be successful but you're absolutely smashing that uh that stereotype down you know it's it's taken some some work on my part but um i enjoy what what i get in return when i step out of my comfort zone finally what has been the best piece of career advice that you think you've ever received the best advice is the worst advice I got. Somebody told me, fake it till you make it. And I said, absolutely not. Because people see through you. And especially when, you, when your work relies on building genuine relationships, they see through the BS. So don't fake it. Um, do the work. And you won't, you'll want, you won't have to fake it to make it. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. We're so grateful to have you on the Equal Inspired podcast. Thank you, Ellie, for um, inviting me. This was fantastic, the opportunity to talk with you. And hopefully your listeners will get some value out of our conversation today. Um, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And we hope you're feeling inspired. If you are, please feel free to like, share, subscribe and join us on our mission to create a diverse, inclusive and equitable universe. This podcast is brought to you by Equal IT, a mission-driven business working to diversify tech teams through refined talent acquisition complemented by diversity and inclusion consulting. As an Azure Heroes inclusive leader, we aim for teams to cultivate a strong sense of belonging and equity. Find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. We welcome your feedback, questions, and would love to hear from you. Join us next time on Equal Inspired.